Hey there, listeners. This is Justin with a quick note before today's episode. Spotify recently allowed users to start leaving reviews for podcasts, and I would greatly appreciate it if you would consider listening to the show on Spotify, leaving us a positive review. I don't even think you have to write anything in. You just get a star rating and that's it. But uh, if you're willing to do that, I would greatly appreciate it. Thanks and enjoy today's show. Welcome back to Beyond the Uniform. I am Justin Asiri, and my goal is to help members of the military community thrive in their post-service career and life. Today is episode number 420, an overview of the space ecosystem with Shelley Brunswick at Space Foundation. So in 2020, the Space Foundation, through our annual space report, said that the global space ecosystem was $447 billion. Of that, 80% is commercial, products and services. So many times there's a misperception that space is government spending. That is certainly a piece of it, but 80% is commercial. And so when you think about that, what is that technology? What are those opportunities? you're seeing that commercialization side. We've seen a lot with, um, like you said, SpaceX and Blue Origin and commercial space opportunities, but you're also looking at data analytics, all the data coming off satellites. How is that being processed? Artificial intelligence in the loop to process that data. Healthcare applications. There are thousands of patents at NASA that are waiting to be commercialized. I'm so excited to have Shelly on the show today. She is a result of a cold LinkedIn outreach, just giving a plug for LinkedIn and the power to connect you with people that you can learn from. I had reached out to Shelly because she's doing some incredible work at Space Foundation, which is a nonprofit simply helping expand the space ecosystem, helping job seekers just like you figure out if there is a good job for you in the space ecosystem. They do a lot more beyond that, and there's a lot of opportunity here, and I was excited to learn about it. Second of all, though, you know, having met Shelly for the first time here, she's one of the rare ones that I've interviewed in 420 interviews where it is so clear she found a good fit for herself in this company, in this organization. It's clear to me how much she is motivated by helping others and giving back. And this is after 29 years in the Air Force. And her heart just really comes through this and her desire to make a difference, her desire to be inclusive with this industry, this desire to pay forward to the next generation. And it's just always refreshing to speak with someone where they have found a calling, not just a career. As always at beyondtheuniform.org, you'll find show notes with links to everything we discuss, as well as 419 other episodes just like this one. So with that, let's dive into my conversation with Shelly. Joining me today in Colorado Springs, Colorado, which is just an hour and 15 minutes where I'm sitting here in Denver. My guest today is Shelly Brunswick. Shelly, welcome to Beyond the Uniform. Well, thank you so much. I'm honored to be here and joining you and a wonderful time of the year and a wonderful time to be in Colorado. So I want to give uh, listeners a, just a very brief snippet of your background, but I'll give some context too. I, I reached out to Shelly Cold, I believe on LinkedIn. She was gracious enough to respond to my request and meet with me over the holidays to record this episode. And I personally am a tech entrepreneur, but I've always loved and had a crush on everything space-related and science fiction, all of this stuff. So very excited to hear what she is up to. Shelly is the COO, the Chief Operating Officer at Space Foundation. 
Foundation, the world's premier organization to inspire, educate, connect, and advocate on behalf of the global space community. Her career includes work as a space acquisition and program management leader and congressional liaison for the U.S. Air Force to her current role, including overseeing Center for Innovation and Education, Symposium 365, Global Alliance, and much, much more, which we'll get into. But maybe to start things off, Shelley, take us back to the work that you did with the Air Force. What was that like? What sort of areas did you focus on? I actually joined the Air Force right out of high school. So for your listeners, it's a great opportunity. I wasn't sure what I wanted to major in in college. I didn't have the money. So, you know, I didn't want to take out a lot of debt. And the military was a great opportunity to enlist, see the world, which I did as well, and to earn your GI Bill and go to school at night. So I did 12 years as an enlisted airman first, and then I did about 12 years in space acquisition. And then I did about five years working on Capitol Hill. So overall, it's a little over 29 year history. It's so incredible. You know, I feel like each chapter you must have learned so much and then to see how the military changed in that time period as well. But I just, you know, someone who served five years on submarines, you know, for those of you who have served 29 years like that, I'm just really appreciative of, of the work that you did. That's a huge commitment. Well, thank you so much. It was an honor to serve. And initially, like many other people who enlist in the military, I had enlisted for four years. I was going to do my four years, retire, and then go on to college and earn my degree. But what happened along the way of being in the military, I just found that I really enjoyed that opportunity to give back, to serve a higher need. And so whenever the time came to leave the military, uh, separate, I just kept renewing my enlistment. And eventually I had completed my master's, uh, my bachelor's degree and almost my master's degree by the time I was enlisted all that time. So at that point, it was like, well, I'm going to apply to become an officer. And I still, to this day, have my GI Bill. So at some point, I could go back to school and get another master's or a PhD or something. What was that transition like for you after 29 years? Did you know what you wanted to do or where, where did you go next? Well, when I transitioned out of the military, you know, at first you have to make that decision after 29 years, wow, am I going to leave the military? And if so, what is the next step? And so I did the transition assistance program and the military has wonderful opportunities to go through TAP, as they call it. Uh, The military is famous for acronyms, but I went through TAP and you build your resume, you start to build your network, and hopefully you were building your network throughout your career. And then you start reaching out to people and letting them know you transition. As you said, we connected on LinkedIn. I share with everyone on the call today that LinkedIn is the global address system like you're used to using in the military. LinkedIn now becomes that new address system. Get your profile on LinkedIn and start reaching out to people and start publicizing your information and activities. And you can post on LinkedIn that you're actively seeking a job opportunity and recruiters can find you that way. So there was a lot of great tips along the way and a lot of great mentorship and individuals who had retired ahead of me that were more than willing to help pass on their knowledge and experience. I love that you're saying that. I don't know if this is accurate, but oftentimes I feel like when people are in the military, there's a negative association with the word networking. And I just really like how you're explaining that because it's it's very clear the value there. Was that something, was that a mindset shift you had to have in the military? It sounds like you kind of were keeping your network alive. What, what did that look like for you? So I'm going to start with, I'm a joiner. 
<laughs> I figured that out over looking at my history that even in high school, I joined debate, I joined track, I joined things. And then even in the military, they encourage you to join like NDIA, the National Defense Industrial Association, join Air Force Association, join. So I was already a joiner. So this was an easy thing to network. And obviously working on Capitol Hill, that is all about building relationships. And I, let's take networking out because sometimes, like you said, it can be negative. It's really about building and maintaining relationships with people. And it's about building trust and camaraderie. And it's about collaboration and creating better opportunities to grow. Because alone, we can only accomplish so much. But when we build our network and we build relations, we can change the world. So let's think about networking as a way to create bigger change. I love that. I'm holding this up just for you. I guess our audience can't see it, but I'm reading this book right now <laughs> called Who Not How. And the guest prior to you, Trevor Shirk, had recommended it. And it's exactly about that. The big premise of the book is to focus on who rather than how to accomplish something. And when you find people to work with or when to connect with or build relationships with, you're gaining insight. You're gaining access to their insight, their knowledge, their network, all of these things. So I love what you're describing is this the benefit of establishing Establishing really good, authentic relationships with people, and, and that tends to lead to good things. Absolutely. Uh, when I started my job working on Capitol Hill, my boss, Keith Zugel at the time said, it's all about relationships. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I was just starting my career, I'll call it, on Capitol Hill. But it's so true. Our whole lives are about relationships. I still have friends from high school. Hi, Jackie. And I have friends you know, from my relationships here at Space Foundation and all throughout that career, I've maintained those relationships. And that's what it's really about. That's what life is about, is the relationships we have. It's not about paperwork or accomplishments or things we do at work. It's about those relationships that we have with family and friends. You and I were just talking about the wonders of uh, the holiday season we just experienced and how much you got to enjoy being with your family. And so building relationships is one of the most important things we can do. And we learned during COVID how much we as human beings want to connect. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I want to spend likely the bulk of our time on Space Foundation, what you're doing there. But what would you want listeners to know between when you left the Air Force until you joined Space Foundation? What would you like them to know about your career and what you learned along the way? So when I left the Air Force, it was like December 31st, 2014. And I showed up at Space Foundation 12 January 2015. So in about 12 days, I really didn't learn that much except for, you know, full throttle, which has been my whole career. I had really planned my transition. So I share with your audience, if you're going to transition, try to plan it one or two years out. Really look at that transition assistance program. If you're not a networker, how do you start building that network? Build relationships, build your CV, your resume, and start looking at job opportunities out there so that you can start figuring out What is the right fit for you? And that's how I ended up at Space Foundation. I really had other job opportunities before I selected Space Foundation, but this was the right fit. And that's what's most important. I love working at a nonprofit. We're a 501c3 for education. We bring the global community together for our annual symposium. We do wonderful programs here in Colorado Springs. So please come down and join us again. I invite all your listeners to come to our Discovery Center. And you can join our International Teacher Liaison Program. But we're really about how do we create workforce development and economic opportunity and give back to the next generation. And so this fell right in line with my values. And so that's what I share with your listeners. Look for that next 
job, that third chapter, the next act in your career that fits in with your values. And that's going to motivate you to get up every day and go after it. I love that. And there are surprisingly few people that I meet that it feels like they did kind of find a career path that matches their values. And the story that I'm telling myself is that part of the reason that you were able to do that is that you were thinking ahead a year or two. It wasn't like you were scrambling at the end of 29 years to find the next thing. You you put some time and effort in, I'm guessing, uncovering those values and finding it and tracking it and then having that very relatively quick transition to your next job after the Air Force. Tell us a little bit more about Space Foundation. And then I'd also love to hear, you know, what what does it look like to be COO of a nonprofit? Well, thank you for asking. I love talking about Space Foundation. So I talked a little bit about it. You know, we have three main divisions. We have our Symposium 365, and that is what houses our annual symposium that we've been doing for 37 years, where we bring together the global space community. So when we first started, that global space community was about 400 people. In 2019, pre-COVID, it was about 15,000. And then in 2021, we brought the community together, but we were very selective in how many people we could bring together with international restrictions. And it was about 8,000 people. So that is one of the things we do. And that's your trusted source for information. Over COVID, we launched our Center for Innovation and Education. And that's really about workforce development and economic opportunity and your trusted source for education. And we look at that as an ecosystem. We have our Discovery Center here in Colorado Springs that's open to the public. And we also do many student field trips. Kids can come in, you can come in as an adult, bring your family in, and you learn about the space ecosystem. We then have formal education programs, K through 12 and teaching teachers. And we recently received a DOD grant to bring our programs into some local schools so we can create that space-inspired curriculum and start generating the next workforce that will take space industry to the next level. And then our adult programs, which is our Space Commerce Institute, which is about entrepreneurship and innovation. And I know you talk a lot about entrepreneurship. So that's our Center for Innovation and Education. I'm very passionate about it because I launched it last year during COVID, which was an interesting time. And then our third division is our Global Alliance. And that's about partnerships, those relationships I talked to. We have an office in DC that does government affairs. So that's our really building those trusted partnerships. That's great. I definitely want to visit the Discovery Center. My two nephews were over yesterday and they had one of them had a shirt on that was like Saturn and Venus and or it was just like awesome. And I hope to foster that in my son, just this love of of outer space. But I, I wanted to ask you, I'm I'm so excited to hear that you launched the Center for Innovation and Education. For listeners, we'll have links in the show notes. One of the things I've been feeling for the last couple of years, as I think of our audience who are active duty and veterans who are thinking about a career move, I feel like there is so much opportunity in this space ecosystem. And I have to believe that it will only get bigger and bigger. Like this feels like, I I hate to say the next frontier because it's such a cliche, but it does feel like that. And At the same time, I'm somewhat ignorant around what this ecosystem looks like. And and in my mind, I think like, well, maybe you view it as like there's a government part with NASA and there's a civilian part with SpaceX and Blue Origin. But how would you describe the ecosystem or maybe even the the different aspects that listeners might want to investigate? Because I just imagine there's so many different areas within this ecosystem. 
it's a really exciting time to look at the space ecosystem. So let's first of all, what is that space ecosystem? So in 2020, the Space Foundation, through our annual space report, said that the global space ecosystem was $447 billion. Of that, 80% is commercial products and services. So many times there's a misperception that space is government spending. That is certainly a piece of it, but 80% is commercial. And so when you think about that, what is that technology? What are those opportunities? You're seeing that commercialization side. We've seen a lot with, like you said, SpaceX and Blue Origin and commercial space opportunities, but you're also looking at data analytics, all the data coming off satellites, how is that being processed? Artificial intelligence in the loop to process that data. Healthcare applications. There are thousands of patents at NASA that are waiting to be commercialized. So for your audience listeners who want to be an entrepreneur, you can, you can go to the NASA Technology Transfer Office. You can apply to bring a, one of those patents to market. And they're in healthcare and manufacturing, energy, agriculture, communications. There was a former NFL player who brought a health product to market. So when you think about all the opportunities, and as you said, the final frontier, space really is all of those things because it embraces all the technology. And at Space Foundation, we're really excited about the space ecosystem. And when I talk about that, that is going forward to the moon and onto Mars and beyond, but then it's about bringing it back to Earth. And how does all of that benefit us here on Earth with better agricultural methods, with better, better energy and medical treatments and manufacturing? And ultimately, all the jobs in the space industry are right here on planet Earth. So it's a really exciting time to be part of space. I love so much of what you're saying. And just to kind of track for myself, first of all, one of the things I realized as you described this is I didn't really think about all of these aspects, like the data analytics, like that in and of itself is so massive. Like these satellites are processing so much information. How do you sift through that? And then when you talked about the healthcare applications, it feels like almost every industry that I normally see, there are subsets of those industries within the space ecosystem. So I love that. It really, for me, paints the picture of how much opportunity there is here. But second, I just really appreciate how you brought this back to Earth. And I feel like sometimes I hear criticism of like, well, why are we pushing to go to Mars? There's so much thing here. And it's, it's not either or. There are ways in which we are learning things that can help us back here. But it, it seems like your vantage point is firmly planted here on earth of, of helping people with jobs here and also helping bring those applications to benefit us here. So I think that that's great. And then third, I, I'll put in the show notes, the NASA transfer office. That's incredible. I'd never heard of that before, but it's pretty exciting. Do you feel like, are there challenges for this industry that you're seeing? Or like, or I guess every industry has challenges, but what are the challenges that the industry is facing currently? Well, here in the U.S. and some other demographics, uh, aging demographic countries, such as maybe Japan, Japan or Europe, we are facing three main challenges, and that's a workforce shortage, a skills deficit, and an innovation gap. So pre-COVID, we were already facing a workforce shortage. We have a large amount of seasoned professionals, I'll call them, that are ready to retire. So where are those replacements? And so we're not generating U.S. citizens who can replace those positions at NASA or the Air Force or other government agencies or defense contractors that are U.S. citizens who can get U.S. clearances. So that's one. Where's the workforce of the future? And COVID and the resignations and re early retirements has only exasperated that. We then have a skills deficit. So during COVID, there were people that lost their jobs. 
And we were still hiring in the space industry. It was still a very robust year in 2020 for the space industry, but there's maybe a skills mismatch. So the opportunity to reskill and upskill is very prevalent. And that will continue as technology starts to mature rapidly and come online, that we're going to have to continue to look at a workforce that continues to reskill and upskill. And then again, that innovation gap. So I share with you, there are over about 14,000 patents that the U.S. government has, and they're increasing every day, not just at NASA, but the Air Force Research Lab, Department of Energy, and other areas that are waiting for individuals to apply to take those patents and commercialize them. And the great thing is, many times you can apply for a grant, a Small Business Innovative Research Grant, CIBR grant, or an STTR grant. So again, for your audience that's interested in being an entrepreneur and they need some help with creating an idea, they can go to any of those sites and look for that tech transfer office. For any of your audience that's international, the European Space Agency also has a tech transfer office. So unlocking that innovation and bringing that to market ultimately will benefit us here on Earth. That's great. And I hope that that first one on the the workforce shortage, that's one that directly hopefully appeals to a lot of our listeners is realizing, you know, especially those of you who are a year or two out, there's an opening there for you. And could you talk a little bit more? And, and again, we'll have links in the show notes, but assuming someone listening is really excited and they want to explore this as a career option, where might they get started and what do those resources look like, especially since you're the one who brought this to life? Well, thank you for asking. So that workforce shortage, there's a huge pocket of underrepresented groups here in the U.S. So we could, uh, they could be minorities, uh, women, but I also say it could be inner city, rural communities. And again, those retiring or transitioning military service members, you know, understanding that there's an opportunity that you could come into. So the first thing you could do, again, join LinkedIn, start to network with like-minded individuals, come to those networking activities come to Space Symposium. There's Space Generation Advisory Council for individuals 35 and under, women in defense, women in aerospace, NDIA, AFA. Start networking with those organizations and finding out what the opportunities are. And then you can also start searching. There are like space career. There are organizations that are looking for space talent. So you can start looking at what are those job descriptions out there and start looking at, do I meet the requirements? And in my shortened area, and do I need to get school or do I need to maybe take some podcasts and webinars? How do I shore that up so I can apply for that position? And the big thing is STEM professionals are important you know, science, engineering, technology, mathematics, but I'm not a STEM professional. I have a business background. I have an MBA. So we need individuals that are project managers and financial managers, artists, manufacturing, technical skills, electricians. So there's openings in all those areas because space is now commercialized for all. There's a huge group of entrepreneurs right in Denver where you're at that are startup companies. So they're looking for all those talents, marketing. So if you're in any of those areas, start looking at what am I interested in? What could I be passionate about? And then if I'm really interested in the space industry, do I want to go work at a startup company, you know, and bootstrap it and be part of, you know, launching something new and exciting? Or do I want to go work at a more mature company that's been doing space for a long time? And that's a Boeing or a Lockheed, you know, Raytheon. And then there's some in the middle, you could say SpaceX or Blue Origin. So you could really look at what am I excited about as I'm transitioning out of the military and what's going to get me excited to get up every day and how do I feel like I'm really making a difference and having an impact? 
it's so great. I think one of the things that's coming through so strong is I'm realizing how narrowly I was viewing that, you know, let's just call it the space ecosystem. And what you're pointing to is all of the variety that is available in a civilian career is available in this ecosystem. Everything from tiny upstart startups to established behemoths like Boeing. There, there's the size gamut. There's the industry gamut. And I appreciate your mentioning that, of course, STEM is important, but it's I don't want anyone listening to rule this out. Like you don't have to have that background. If that wasn't your background in the military, there's still a way to gain entry there. I also wanted to ask you, you know, having had 29 years in the military and then now COO of a, of a you know, in my view, a large organization, I think there's over 150 employees listed on LinkedIn. Is there any ways in which you've seen leadership in the civilian sector versus the leadership you saw and experienced in the military? you can see when I started in the military in the 80s and the space industry in the 80s. So we were a very different organization. So if you were in the space industry in the 80s, you really had to be part of the Air Force, NASA, or you worked for another government agency. And there were only a few because we know space originally started as a space race between two countries trying to get into orbit, you know, Russia and the U.S. But now over that point of 30-year pivot, oh, and let's talk about the 80s, you primarily were a white male and a STEM professional. So as you can tell, I do not meet the stereotype of being a white male or a STEM professional, but I did start in the US Air Force. So I did have sort of that traditional start. Now the pendulum has totally swung. You do not have to be part of a military. There are more than 85 countries operating in space more and many more that are standing up space agencies around the world. It's very democratized now. You're looking at, again, startups that are using space technology all the way to mature companies. And let, and and again, you say a subset of other companies. What I'm going to tell you is space is the baseline and all those companies are part of the space ecosystem. So right now we're using space technology and cybersecurity to do this podcast. If you're using a phone right now, an iPhone or any kind of portable phone, you are using two or three different types of space technology or in your phone, Airbnb, Uber, your aircraft that's taking you to any activities is using GPS. The entire financial system of the world runs on GPS. Uh, precision agriculture, transportation of your food. So when you're thinking about space, space is really the infrastructure allowing all these industries to flourish. So the government of the U.S. government investing in GPS has unlocked a multi-billion dollar industry. So when you think about it, Space is creating access and opportunity so all citizens can find their place in the space ecosystem. That's so beautiful. I love the inclusivity. When I was at the Naval Academy, I, I did electrical engineering and I did it because a professor gave a talk basically talking about how electrical engineering was a part of everything, how these circuits were making up everything that we love. And you're making such a compelling case in the same way with space of like how much it does affect everything that we do and the technologies that that we love and that we utilize they all come out of that and so it's just really exciting and i'm i'm hoping that listeners are sharing my enthusiasm and willing to look more at this this industry because there's a lot of of opportunity here i also want to just kind of make space at the end here i know that there is so much you could speak to and i i likely don't have the right question for it and so i wanted to just make a little bit of room here what what else do you want to share with our audience or what what else do you want to make sure they know 
Well, thank you so much. What I'll share with you is what I've learned over the last year of launching our Center for Innovation and Education during COVID. Our programs were always in demand before COVID, and we were fortunate to be able to find sponsors and supporters and donors. During COVID, what we learned is that the people that most need our programs are the people that can least afford them. Maybe they're in a community that doesn't have a company that can support it, or they're in a lower cost school district, or they're they're in a region of the world that doesn't have those opportunities. So this year, 2022, will be my next big challenge. And what I'm going to do with, obviously, our team at Space Foundation and our CEO, Admiral Tom Zellibor, is launch an endowment fund for the Space Foundation so that we will be able to continue to bring our programs to the people that most need them. And like you said, transitioning veterans. How do we help transitioning veterans get into our programs? Right now, we don't have that ability to do that. There are a lot of great transitioning facilities But like you said, there's a way to help veterans find their way into the space industry, whether they want to be entrepreneurs or they want to reskill and upskill and come into the space industry, either at a startup or at a large company. So that is going to be my next big goal. And I thank you for asking that question. And I'm looking forward to 2022 and telling you how it turns out. Oh, well, I'd love if you keep us surprised as you as you launch that endowment. And we'll we'll definitely include that in our newsletter as an update and people can participate and support you in getting the word out about that. That's it's really exciting and it's such a worthwhile mission that you're on. And I can I can see you know, in the little time that I've known you, I can see how it seems like your time in the Air Force, you were kept there because you really liked adding value. You really liked the mission and the, the purpose. And I can see how you've really found another great purpose and another great way to add value to so many people. And I just love that through line for you on, on both in uniform and out uniform. It's exciting to see. Well, thank you so much. It was an honor to be in the U.S. Air Force. And again, along the way, I had an opportunity to do many different jobs, which is great. It built my toolkit for retirement. And the other thing it did is it built my relationships throughout my career that I'm so grateful for. It's now January, but we got to go through the holidays. And nowadays, you look at Facebook or text messages. You know, you don't have to mail Christmas cards like we did 30 years ago. And reaching out to all those individuals along the way. And I have to tell you, during that time when I send text messages to everyone or a Facebook link, it's it brings a smile to my face when I think about Monica when I worked at DCMA or, you know, all along my career, I have somebody that just stood out and was a mentor and a champion and a coach for me. And so that's my parting words for your audience is be a mentor and find a mentor because you could be that person that somebody is going to look back and remember and smile and say, That person changed my life. I sent a note to General L. Flowers over the holidays. He was pivotal in my working on Capitol Hill, which totally changed the course of my direction in the military and changed where I am today. And I sent him a note and said how grateful I was for his support in me and helping to change the course of my life. I ask everyone to remember that you could be that person that changes the course of someone's life. You just may not know it. So remember, every time you interact with somebody on LinkedIn or on a Zoom cast or another way, you have the power to change the world. So, and together we're creating a better world. It's so powerful. And one thing that I like about that is when someone reaches out for advice and assuming I have time to participate, it brings so much joy to me when I'm able to mentor entrepreneur, veteran, whatever it is. It's energizing to me. I learn something. I get something out of that mentorship. And I say that especially for listeners 
who are wanting to reach out for mentorship is to know that it's, you know, it's not always an imposition. It's not always a detractor. It, it is beneficial for both parties involved. And I like how you're accentuating the value of both finding mentors and then also taking those opportunities to mentor as well. I feel like they work best when we're all, all receiving mentorship and giving mentorship. It's part of this ongoing ecosystem. So thank you so much for your time today, Shelly. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you for how you're helping our military community. And we will include for listeners links at beyondtheuniform.org to everything we discussed and, and hope that you check them out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for inviting me today. And we've started 2022 off to a wonderful start. So thank you for being my first podcast this year. Surface, surface, surface. Beyond the Uniform is written and produced by me, Justin Asiri, with the help from our chief of staff, Steve Bain, our editor, Lex Brown, and our head of social media, Janelle Hanf. We are an all-volunteer organization and would greatly appreciate your help in any of the following ways. First of all, spread the word. Beyond the Uniform has over 380 podcast episodes and 15 on-demand webinars, all offered for free. Help us spread the word on social media, at military bases, or whatever gets this resource in front of the men and women who need it. Positive reviews on iTunes go a long way towards this as well. Second of all, sponsorship. Beyond the Uniform relies on sponsorship to keep us going. There is so much more we'd like to do, but just don't have nearly the resources to do it. If you know of a company that would advertise in any way with Beyond the Uniform, please send them our way. Third of all, donations. If you're in a financial position to donate, you can find more information on the support section of our website. At our website, beyondtheuniform.org, you'll find over 380 episodes categorized by industry, functional role, and more. You'll also find both free and for purchase resources that take a deeper dive on topics related to career growth. Thank you for your support as we aim to help members of the military and their families thrive in their post-military career in life.